Good morning, Hillcrest. So my name's Ryan, and um, my wife Erin and I, we've got five kids. We lead a life group here, and this morning, I was getting, getting up, and I found this tucked in my shirt from one of my kids. It says, good luck, so. <laughs> I want to, uh, and I don't know if that, maybe that meant there's a really hard audience, so I mean, maybe that's what, what the, uh, the implication was, but I um, want to start things off with a question. What do you do when you get the bad news? It's not benign. It's not treatable. Somebody you love has just a short while longer to live. Has anyone you know gotten that news? That's that's Tina's story. Her 18-year-old daughter was a 2020 Stoughton graduate, and she was making big plans. She's going to be a nurse, go to Madison College, change the world. And then she got the bad news, terminal brain cancer. And she was not able to be a nurse. And last November, just just a couple of months ago, Tina did something that was impossibly hard. She had to bury her child. And just last week would have been her 19th birthday. And so she said, let's, I want to go to a park. I want to get some balloons that are her favorite color, purple and white, and let them go in celebration and remembrance. And, and, and she knew that lots of people hadn't been able to say their goodbyes because of COVID. And so she said on one of social media and said, hey, come on out and celebrate with us. And the response she got was overwhelming. You're polluting. You're going to kill the fish. I can't believe you want to do that. She got 30 responses, 30 attacks. What do you do in that situation? What would you do? How do you respond in the, in the middle of this unjust suffering? I am sure that she was hurting. I am sure that she was angry. I'm sure she had all sorts of things that she would have liked to say. And I'm sure she cried. But what she did was delete the post make a new post, and it said, I hope none of you ever has to bury a child. What's the right move? There's the balloon release. What's the right move when you are suffering from others and you've done nothing wrong? When we close our services, we often come up here with a send and we say, hey, as you go out your Monday through Saturday, we want you to what? Pray, watch, step, right? That's our way of saying live out your faith, but what does it look like to pray, watch, and step when life is hard? 
when somebody's taking credit for something that you've done, when you're getting blamed that you don't deserve, when you're told that you are no longer useful, or you're being bullied, or you're being abused? How, how do you pray, watch, and step into that situation with those people? Well, it's, it's into that situation that Peter is speaking today. We're continuing our study in 1 Peter, so you can grab your Bible, open up to 1 Peter, which is very close to the end, like seven books from the end, and we're taking a look at verses 18 through 25. And Peter's going to be speaking to a group of people that are unjustly suffering. And he's, he's going to be saying, this is what you ought to do. Before we start, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it allows us to, to know you. It allows us to see your character. It allows us to understand how we ought to live, to see the love that you have for us. God, help us to understand it this morning, that even now you'd be working on all the hearts of those of us here, those of us listening or watching, Lord, so we can be transformed into the image of your son. Amen. All right, so we got a lot of text. We're looking at 18 to 25. We're going to break it into two chunks and start with 18 to 20. It says, Servants, be subject, or submit, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. And so this is our big idea for this morning. When we endure suffering by imitating Jesus, we delight God and we proclaim the gospel. And so where we're headed is we're just going to walk through that. We're going to walk through the text and we're going to start with when we endure suffering. And so Peter, Peter is repeating something that we've heard, right? We're just walking through 1 Peter. And uh, he's repeating something that we've heard a whole bunch of time, that, that Christians can be expected sometimes to endure suffering. And I want you to notice something, though, um, in the verses that we read, that verse 20 is a mirror of verse 19. So it says, for this is a gracious thing, verse 19, verse 20. This is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, verse 19, in the sight of God, verse 20. When you endure, in verse 19 and 20, and lastly, while you suffer unjustly, or while you do good and suffer. And Peter wants his readers to pay attention to that. What is he saying? Is he saying that, that, that when you're suffering unjustly, and he's speaking specifically to Christian servants in this context, but when you're suffering unjustly, what we do is we stand up. We get even. We take revenge and justice. Is that what he's saying? No, rather he's saying, endure sorrows while suffering unjustly. Do good and suffer for it and endure. Ugh. That 
is such a hard calling for servants. And yet, just last week, if you were here, we are called servants of God. And, and all through Scripture, we are called to this very thing, to do good in the midst of suffering, and in 1 Peter specifically. So they're to submit, they're to endure, and maybe you say, you know, that, that's not fair. If somebody attacks me, man, I'm going to stand up. I'm not going to take a hit standing down, sitting down. And I, I mean, I, I agree with you. That's not fair. Praise God. Praise God. My kids used to always say, they used to always say, that's not fair. We have five kids, and, and I don't know if you've ever, you know, like made a milkshake or, or tried to divide something up five ways. It's one of the things that can't be done. I mean, you can divide it five ways, but evenly, no, forget it, right? So um, notice there's seven people in our family, five kids. You don't have to divide it evenly seven ways, right? Because mom and dad, we get the big glass, right? But, <laughs> but you divide something five ways, and, you know, I'm, I've got the milkshake in the blender, and I mean, you can, you can eye level it, and let me tell you, it is... It's not fair. And so we've had to work through what does it mean to be fair and thank God that it's not, that life isn't fair, right? Because when we think about life being fair, we think primarily about, man, I, I didn't get the good end that I, that I deserve. But if life were fair, then I would get what I deserve. Friends, I don't want what I deserve because I am a sinner and need of a savior. So praise God when life isn't fair. And that's easier, easier said than done, right? I mean, when we're, we're, we encounter verses like this, it's, it can be hard to say praise God, even if you are um, not suffering, it can still be hard to praise God. But when we su- endure suffering, how do we, how do, we do it? If, if we're called to endure, how? By imitating Jesus. And uh, we're going to look at the text specifically, a couple of things that it calls us to do, but we're also going to look at something that it doesn't call us to do. Okay? Let's finish the text, though. So we read 18 to 20, and now we're going to read 21 to uh, 25. For to this, and now he's just looking back at what we just talked about, right? This, This enduring when suffering, this doing right. For to this you have been called, because... Christ also suffered for you, unjustly, by the way. He suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. And then Peter's going to list some of the things that that Jesus did. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, or or angrily insulted is is another, another way to say that. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Right? Jesus suffered unjustly so we could live and die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and 
overseer of your souls. So he's going to tell us how to endure, how we do it, and also we're going to look at one way he doesn't say to do it, and that is don't die in a duel. All right? If you look at the text, it doesn't say that we need to die in a duel. Oh, isn't that clarifying? Isn't that wonderful? Here's what I, here's what I mean by that. It's, it's, it feels very natural, right, in, in light of this text to ask the question, do we always need to choose suffering, right? If we're to endure suffering, do we always need to choose suffering? I mean, that's, that's I think, pretty clear. We, we looked at that weeks ago. 1 Peter uh, 1.6 says, if you have to suffer, right? It, it uses the language, if necessary. Jesus didn't want to suffer. He didn't want to be tortured. He didn't want to be nailed to the cross In Matthew 26, three times he prays to the Father and he says, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me three times, but not my will, but your will be done. So if if necessary, so don't, don't die in a duel. Alexander Hamilton, our vice president, he got in a kerfuffle which is the greatest word in the world to say. He got in a kerfuffle with somebody and they were, they were arguing and they were fighting and that other person challenged him to a duel, like an old western, you know, gun duel. Which, like if somebody challenges me to a duel, I mean, there's like a pretty decent chance of some serious suffering, right? Unnecessarily, right? You don't need to suffer because you could just say like, hey, Mia culpa, I'm sorry, uh, whatever you want, just about. But he did not need to die in a duel. And friends, we don't need to die in a duel, right? If we're in a situation of, of suffering, you don't have to choose it if, if necessary. So don't die in a duel. Second thing, now that now we're getting back into what the text does say, follow Jesus' example. Is it Jesus or Jesus's? Jesus's. Follow Jesus' example. So the idea of following his example, um, and this comes from the text that we were just looking at, uh, verse 21. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered from you, leaving you an example. That word example brings about this idea of, hey, we have a model, we have a model, like uh, a child tracing a drawing, and we're just doing our best to kind of trace the outline of the drawing. We're following Jesus' example. It's like um, you see his footprints, his path, and we're following the same path of Jesus. In fact, that's actually exactly what it says in verse 21. So that you might follow in his steps. And how specifically are we to do that? Let's look at a couple of different ways. We're going to look at two. One way we follow Jesus' example in the midst of suffering is that we are righteous, right? And now when we say righteous, we're not talking about crush the turtle in Finding Nemo, surfing the East Australian current, saying, righteous, right? That's not what we're talking about. Righteousness is a right standing before God. 
being right before God. And, and when you uh, accept Jesus, right, you are fully and forever positionally righteous with God. You are right before God. And so a right standing before God ought to result in a right walking. Right? That's what the text says. It says, die to sin and live to righteousness. And so we look at some of the things, some of the examples. We're talking about, again, the context of enduring, suffering unjustly. That's what Peter is talking about. And what are some of the things that he calls out that Jesus did in the midst of suffering unjustly when the, the thing inside of us is saying, oh, I want to get even? When he, re- when he was reviled, angrily insulted, he did not revile in return. He didn't threaten. He didn't take revenge. There was no deceit. Romans 12, 14 puts it this way. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Do not take revenge. Overcome evil with good. So we're following Jesus' example. We're dying to sin. We're living to righteousness. And it, it's, if you're truly suffering, it can be hard to praise God for life not being fair. So we're going to look at another thing in the text too. I'm sorry, I have five kids. This is, this is all I, I mean, this is all I got. I, it's just Disney slides and Pixar. The whole rest of the, the, the sermon is just Pixar slides. So how do we deal with life not being fair? Uh, what's, what's the song? I can try to remember, what's the song? Let it go. Yes, oh, thank you. My beautiful wife, Erin. I think she deserves some applause for that. That was bold. <laughs> let it go, right? So, so does it say let it go? No, it doesn't say let it go. It says, what did Jesus do? In the midst of, of being insulted, in the midst of being beaten, in the midst of being tortured, in the midst of all the suffering that was unjust, what did he do? Verse 23, he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So it's something that he, he had to keep doing, right? He continued doing it. And trusting, it's, it's the imperfect tense if you're nerdy, right? He, was, he, he kept doing it over and over and over again. He had to entrust himself to him who judges justly. And, and when you and I are attacked, when we're suffering unjustly, we may need to entrust we needed to keep entrusting every day or every hour or every breath to him who judges justly. Know that justice will be done. Again, in Romans 12, it says, never agen- Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. So what happens when we endure suffering by imitating Jesus? We delight God. We delight God. So jumping back to verse 19. For this is a gracious thing. We looked at that already once in verse 20. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. 
And this gracious, the idea behind the word gracious is it, it finds favor or pleasure. And, and you may be thinking it would be very normal to ask the question, how is it again that enduring the, the suffering of unjustness, how, how does, how does me, me suffering delight God? How does a servant being beaten, verse 20, how does that bring God delight? That could be a natural question to ask. But it's not the suffering that brings him delight. It's in the midst of the suffering. When we are enduring, we are entrusting, we are following the example of Jesus, and we are choosing not to sin. That is what brings him delight. I don't know if you guys have ever smelt rosemary or mint. If you just smell the plant, like in your garden, doesn't do much for me. Just smells like a plant. But if you bruise it or crush it, oh, so fresh. Just it's beautiful. And, and, and there's this idea of, of uh, uh, the bruising of something can be a delightful fragrance to God when we are choosing to walk justly. I think of um, two of our youngest kids. Liam is our second youngest and Cooper is our baby. And I think back to when they were uh, like five or six and one and Cooper, our baby, man, he's just getting these baby teeth, these like little, four little razor blades in the front of his mouth. Oh my goodness, right? And he's just figuring them out, you know? And, 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 and Liam is just five or six. And so they're playing together and all of a sudden Cooper is just like, chomp, oh, right? And, and if you're watching this from afar, I mean, I don't recommend just like sitting back and watching, but like if you happen to see this, you see just the big tears coming in Liam's eyes, just the big tears. And then you see him struggle. You see him struggle with what a, a five-year-old struggles with when somebody bites him. Because what's inside of him? Oh, what's inside of him? Somebody hits him? Somebody bites him? That's what's inside of him. He wants to get even. And as a parent, when you see him wrestling with that, and he's crying, and he, but he knows he can't. It's his baby who he loves. And he chooses instead to entrust to somebody who judges justly. Mom and dad. Right? And he chooses in the midst of his unjust suffering not to sin, that delights us. And that delights God. Something else happens, though, when we endure suffering by imitating Jesus. Not only do we delight God, but we also, we also proclaim the gospel. What does that look like? 1 Peter 3.15 says, always be ready, uh, in the middle there, in your, in your heart's honor Christ, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for the reason for the hope that is in you. Right? In the context of suffering, he says, be ready to explain that hope that is inside of you. In verse 24, in verse 24, 
Peter says, by his wounds, you have been healed. So how does, how does suffering proclaim the gospel? Friends, suffering unjustly is the gospel. It literally is the gospel. So by his wounds, you have been healed. Something else interesting. By our wounds, by our suffering, other people can be saved when they hear the gospel. How does that work? I'll give you an example. In November 2019, there was a police officer who got off of work, long shift, didn't notice that she got off on the wrong floor at the elevator. She got out of the elevator, walked to an apartment door that wasn't hers, didn't notice there was a floor mat, didn't match what was outside of her door, opens the door that was unlocked, didn't notice everything's different in the apartment. What she did notice was someone sitting in a chair watching TV. She pulled her gun and killed him. Oh, so many things wrong that happened there. So many things wrong. Can you imagine that family who lost both and John? Can you imagine their suffering? What would have been inside of them? Oh, oh. So many things. So many things. Their son, their brother, taken from them totally unjustly. So many things should have stopped that from happening. And I want you to see how unjust suffering, when we decide to follow Jesus, can proclaim the gospel. This, what, this video is Botham's brother, Brant John, at the police officer's trial. I know I can speak for myself. I, I forgive you. And I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. And I don't think anyone could say it. Again, I'm speaking for myself, not even bad for my family. But I love you just like anyone else. And I'm not going to say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did, but I, see, I, I personally want the best for you. And I, I wasn't going to ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you because I know that's what that's exactly what both of them would want you to do and the best would be give your life to Christ I'm not going to say anything else I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do again I love you as a person, and I don't wish anything bad on you.
I don't know if this is possible, but can, can I give her a hug, please? Please? Yes. You see how our response to unjust suffering by following Jesus' example, can you see how that proclaims the gospel? It's pretty clear an example like that. I hope none of us are ever in that situation. But also in the day-to-day. Right? In the small things. When, when your uh, child sins against you and in your frustration you choose not to respond, not to sin back, that is a small way that we proclaim the gospel with our neighbors, with our coworkers. Maybe, maybe you mostly deal with first world problems, right? Or maybe inside of you, you're just wrestling with this desire to get even. Or maybe it's something harder. Maybe you have been suffering for years. But we are called to follow the example of Jesus. This delights God. It proclaims the gospel. What would happen what would happen if, if Christians, if Jesus followers weren't known for, for what they were against? They weren't known for getting even, for seeking revenge, for repaying evil for evil, but good for evil, for loving their enemies, and for in the midst of unjust suffering, living and walking righteously. That's proclaiming the gospel. Or as verse 9 said, that is how we proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light because there is a watching world who has yet to treasure Jesus. And they will watch that. They will see that's not how things are supposed to be. That's not how people behave. I don't understand that. Tell me why. And friends, we will tell them why. We will be ready to give the reason for the hope that we have. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Our heart aches this morning for people that are undergoing unjust suffering, Lord. It isn't easy. You know You know exactly what it's like. You know, Lord, those that have been suffering for years. And Lord, you care. And Lord, I just pray that that the word that we heard here this morning, God, that somehow that would allow us as we go out and live our lives, Lord, that we would, in the midst of our unjust suffering, that thing that rises up inside of us that says, take revenge, You deserve it. You have been wronged. That's not fair. 
that thing that rises up inside of us, God, that that would just be gone. That we would follow Jesus. That we would not revile. There'd be no deceit. There'd be no threats. Lord, we would follow the example, follow in the footsteps of him who called us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. Amen.